Nation, we want pictures of your dogs. That's just a personal request from me, but while you look for a good one, let me tell you about something near and dear to mine, Brent's hearts. Your dog's health. You may have noticed lots of dogs suffering from health issues these days. Joints, odors, it's not good. Actress Katherine Heigl noticed these issues too, and after a ton of research, there was one place she found we can look to support any dog's health. Their food. So she created Superfood Complete, food for your four-legged friend that's made with over 30 of the healthiest ingredients on the planet, including several superfoods vital to your dog's health. Her company, Badlands Ranch, also supports the Jason Debus Heigl Foundation, which has helped rescue thousands of dogs and place them in loving homes. Now, I know Brent has used Superfood Complete with his lovable meatballs, and they absolutely love it. He said it's easy to prepare, both his guys grow crazy for it, and he loves knowing what he's giving them is healthy and full of ingredients that are actually beneficial to his little rapscallions. You can try it for yourself by going to badlandsranch.com slash hysteria and order right now to get up to 50% off your regular priced order with a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you want your dog to experience all these incredible things, go to badlandsranch.com slash hysteria today. They say I'm disturbed. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spread. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Will you tell these fools I'm not crazy? This hysteria. You can't handle the truth. Truth. This is Hysteria 51. The truth is out there. It's alive. But you won't find it here. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome in, Hysteria Nation, to a spookily dookily episode of Hysteria 51. I'm David Flora, coming to you from deep within the frozen wastelands of parts unknown Colorado. And I'm flying solo on this mission, and let me tell you why. Seabot finally succeeded in tricking Brent by switching out his Diet Mountain Dew with bot booze. Usually Brent can smell it and avoid the trap, but as we were recording, he got a bit of a dry throat and was coughing, and he had to take a swig of something quickly, and, well, he's now in recovery mode. Seabot grabbed Kyle and took off to who knows where, because he knows there will be consequences. But bot booze is no joke. So send Brent all the good vibes you can as he recovers from Seabot's trap card. Anyways, since it's around Al Howlow's Eve and I'm sitting alone in the studio, I thought it would be fun to play you some old ghost stories I read back in season 10 of Blurry Photos. It's a handful of spine tingling tales you might not want to listen to late at night in the dark. Or whilst driving a lonely road with nothing but your headlights in front of you and darkness behind. Enjoy these ghost stories, and happy haunting. Clawfoot Bathtub Ever since her parents bought the Clawfoot Bathtub, Janie had felt ill at ease when she went to the toilet. Her father said it was a vintage Victorian tub, but she suspected he had just gotten it cheap from an old antique store. Almost everything they owned was used, 
her father could never resist a discount. Something about the antique bath bothered her. Perhaps it was the dark, ugly, reddish-brown stains on the porcelain. Maybe it was the way the gnarled, cast-iron legs of the bath jutted out at an odd angle. They looked like the paws of some monstrous, misshapen beast. Sometimes she imagined the bathtub suddenly standing up and scuttling out of the bathroom while her back was turned. Janie was almost 13 years old, but her mother still treated her like a child, telling her when to get up, when to do her homework, when she could watch TV, and when she had to go to bed. Her parents seemed to argue constantly about everything. Even the slightest thing would spark a feud that lasted for hours. She couldn't remember a time when there had been peace and quiet in the house. All day long, her mother and father would be at each other's throats, having argument after argument. Often, at night, when her parents were yelling and screaming, Janie would put a pillow over her head to block out the noise and cry herself to sleep. With all the chaos at home, the young girl sometimes felt as if she was losing her mind. Lately, she had begun to doubt her sanity more and more. Every time she went into the bathroom to take a shower or brush her teeth, she would see things out of the corner of her eye. Reflected in the mirror, she could see the clawfoot tub behind her. Once, she thought she saw blood running out of the faucet, but when she turned to look, the taps weren't running. On another occasion, she fancied she saw some dark, shadowy shape lying in the tub, its head barely peeking over the side. Of course, she spun around, her heart racing with fear, but the clawfoot bathtub was empty. Whenever she undressed and stepped into the tub to take a shower, she had the strangest sensation that she was being watched. The hair on the back of her neck stood up, and she felt like someone was staring at her body. One night, while she was taking a shower, she dropped the soap. As she bent down to pick it up from the bottom of the tub, she lost her balance and fell backwards. Suddenly, it felt as if hands were grabbing her and holding her under the water. I guess it must have had bad drainage if there was enough water to be held under while taking a shower. The terrified girl kicked and struggled, eventually freeing herself from the invisible paws that seemed to clutch tightly at her skin. Spluttering and gasping for air, she thought she could hear faint laughter echoing around the small bathroom. In the morning, she decided to pay a visit to the local antique shop where her father had purchased the clawfoot bathtub. When she asked the owner about the vintage bath he had sold a few days before, she was shocked by the horrifying tale he had to tell. Apparently, the old clawfoot bathtub dated back to the Victorian era. The man said that it had once belonged to an infamous and reviled serial killer named George Haig. Janie's jaw dropped and she began to shake with fear. The man said that the serial killer would lure young girls back to his house and run a bath for them. Then, while they bathed, he would spy on them through a hole he had drilled in the wall. When they least expected it, he would pounce on them and hold their heads underwater until they drowned. The evil murderer then chopped up their bodies with an axe and disposed of the pieces in the garbage. 
after a number of young girls went missing in the area. His terrible deeds finally caught up with him. A neighbor was snooping through his trash when she came across the grisly remains and contacted the police. They arrested him and put him on trial. He was found guilty and executed by hanging. Janie was terrified beyond belief. She realized that she had to convince her parents to get rid of the clawfoot bathtub before something horrible happened. The young girl ran back to her house as fast as her legs would carry her. When she got home, she found her father sitting alone on the living room sofa. The TV was off and the house was deathly quiet. Where's mom? asked Janie. She's upstairs taking a bath, said her father. I'll go check on her. Janie sat on the sofa while her father went upstairs. The house was so quiet, it unnerved her. She wasn't used to this much silence. Suddenly, she heard a series of short, sharp clunks coming from upstairs, followed by slow, deliberate footsteps that echoed across the ceiling and traveled down the stairs. Her father appeared at the door to the living room. His eyes were glazed, and he had an odd look on his face. Then, she noticed he was holding a bloody axe. Your mother's finished, he growled. Now it's your turn to take a bath. Black hair. There was a Japanese man who had grown tired of his wife. When they had gotten married, she was the most beautiful girl he had ever seen, with long black hair, beautiful brown eyes, and soft skin. However, over the years, her looks had faded, and she had grown fat. Her face had become wrinkled. He realized that he wasn't attracted to her anymore, and decided to leave her. The man told his wife he wanted a divorce, and promptly moved out of the house. He rented an apartment in the city and took to visiting bars and clubs in search of a new romance. It wasn't long until he met a stunningly beautiful young girl. She was only 18 years old, tall and slim with long, flowing blonde hair. He was instantly smitten, and within weeks he had asked her to marry him. The blonde girl accepted, and after they got married she moved in with him. However, as soon as the ring was on her finger, the blonde girl's behavior changed. Before the wedding, she had been sweet, pleasant, and polite, but now her attitude was hard, mean, and rude. She was very vain and seemed to spend hours in front of the mirror, preening, applying makeup, and gazing at her own reflection. She was also very demanding and made him spend all of his money on her. She forced him into buying her new clothes, new jewelry, new gadgets, and a new car. One day, the man came home and took a good look at his new wife. All of the makeup, the eyeliner, the mascara, the eyeshadow, only hid the ugliness inside. He began to wish he had never married her. As the years went on, the man started longing for his old wife. She may have been old and overweight, but she had been a caring and considerate person. 
He cried when he remembered her soft voice, her gentle smile, and her eternal patience. He regretted the day he had divorced her. He gradually realized that he still loved his first wife, loved her more than he could ever love the blonde girl. He began to understand how he had thrown away the only woman who ever truly loved him. Sometimes, in his dreams, he would see his old wife sitting alone in her room, her long black hair covering her face. Late at night, he would ask himself how she was living, what she was doing, would she ever take him back? One night, after a bitter argument, he decided that he had endured enough. He couldn't take it anymore and left his blonde wife. He left the city and made the long journey back to his old wife's house. When he reached the street where they used to live, it was already late at night. The house looked deserted. Tall weeds were growing in the garden and the windows were cracked and broken. Tiles were missing from the roof and the walls looked as if they hadn't been painted in years. He knocked on the front door, but no one answered. Then he tried the handle and found that the door wasn't locked. He walked inside and found the rooms empty and silent. A chilly wind was blowing through the broken windows. Going upstairs, he opened the door to the bedroom and was startled to see his wife sitting there on the bed. He ran to her, embraced her in his arms, and cried on her shoulder. Through the tears, he told her how much he had missed her over the years and begged her to forgive him for leaving her. Her face was covered by her long black hair, but he heard her sweet voice whispering in his ear. She told him, I'm glad you came back to me, if only for a moment. Only for a moment, he replied with a laugh. I'm back for good. Now we can spend the rest of our lives together. He brushed the hair from her face and leaned in to kiss her. But when he opened his eyes, he screamed in horror. Her face was a dirty, moldering skull. To his horror, he realized that what he was clutching in his arms was nothing but a sack of dusty old bones and long, stringy black hair. The man scrambled to his feet and tossed the bones away from him in disgust. He stood there in the dim light, shuddering as a sickening feeling spread throughout his body. He ran downstairs and out the front door. On the street, he found a neighbor and demanded to know who lived in the old broken down and abandoned house. There's no one living in that house now, said the neighbor. Years ago, it belonged to a woman whose husband left her. He divorced her in order to marry another woman. She was so distraught that she killed herself soon afterwards. Hola, David. Me amo Brent. Bonjour, uh, Brent. Je m'appelle David. You didn't do Spanish. I thought if we were going to do this together, we'd do the same language. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's uh, that's on brand for us. I, that, I I just thought romance languages was yeah. the key. Everything I say is romantic, and that is thanks to Rosetta Stone. <laughs> you guys, we, we've been touting these things forever. We love Rosetta Stone, and we actually are users. David, you've really been using it even for longer than I. What's your experience been like? Oh, it's been great. The thing is, uh, you really get to learn how to speak and think in that language with it. So 
it's very high on pronunciation too. So <laughs> you can, you know, learn how to speak. And you know, our show is all about proper pronunciation. <laughs> In that pronunciation. Yeah, that's right. But it's, it, they design it for long-term retention, you know? It, and, yeah. Uh, if you don't get the pronunciation right, you you say it until you do, and then you know that that just seeps into your head. Well, and that's why you know this has been trusted by experts for thirty years, and there's over twenty five different languages that you can learn, and people, millions and millions of users use it because, like you said, it does seep in, and you're using it with you know you get speech recognition, and mm-hmm. it, it hears you. You get to use like the built in true accent features that gives you this pronunciation, which is super convenient, and you can do it at your own time. And I don't know if you can know this, but I'm all about value. And you get a one-time purchase, 25 languages. If I learned all 25 languages, I'd be so confused or really cool. <laughs> I'd go in and out. But you'd be real marketable. But literally, though, this is something that we use. And we have both of us have given the seal of approval because we want to do this long term. And uh, it's something that uh, it works. You know, and we don't yeah. we don't do long term um, stuff like this, and this is this is the one that we've chosen, and we love it. So, all you guys got to do don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now, as we've told you a thousand times, and it's always now, right now. Get now. started for very limited time. Hysteria Fifty One listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for fifty percent off. How much? Fifty percent. Visit Rosetta Stone. Dot com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your unnatural life. Wow. Redeem, redeem, redeem. How do they do it? Rashate, you're oh. 50% off. <laughs> Rashate. <laughs> redeem it. 50% off. RosettaStone.com slash today. Do it today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when Brent and I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, man, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Brent is trying to plan right now and says that it works like a charm from Chicago to Nashville as he makes his big old move. Mint Mobile is working for him. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So ditch the overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash hysteria. That's mintmobile, M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E dot com slash hysteria, H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash hysteria. $45 upfront payment required. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Moonlight Sonata by Alexander Woolcott. If this report were to be published in its own England, 
I would have to cross my fingers in a little forward explaining that all the characters were fictitious, which stern requirement of the British libel law would embarrass me slightly because none of the characters is fictitious, and the story, told to Catherine Cornell by Clements Dane and by Catherine Cornell told to me, chronicles what, to the best of my knowledge and belief, actually befell a young English physician, whom I shall call Alvin Barak, because that does not happen to be his name. It is an account of a hitherto unreported adventure he had two years ago, when he went down into Kent to visit an old friend, and let us call him Ellery Cazalet, who spent most of his days on the links and most of his nights wondering how he would ever pay the death duties on the collapsing family manor house to which he had indignantly fallen heir. This house was a shabby little cousin to Compton Winegate's, with roof tiles of Tudor red making it cozy in the noonday sun, and a hoarse bell which, from the clock tower, had been contemptuously scattering the hours like coins ever since Henry VIII was a rosy stripling. Within, Cazalette could afford only a doddering couple to fend for him, and the once sumptuous gardens did much as they pleased under the care of a single gardener. I think I must risk giving the gardener's real name, for none I could invent would have so appropriate a flavor. It was John Scripture, and he was assisted from time to time by an aged and lunatic father, who, in his lucid intervals, would be let out from his captivity under the eaves of the lodge to putter amid the lewd Tuparian extravagance of the hedges. The doctor was to come down when he could, with a promise of some good golf, long nights of exquisite silence, and a ghost or two thrown in if his fancy ran that way. It was characteristic of his rather ponderous humor that, in writing to fix a day, he addressed Cazalet at The Creeps, Sevenoaks, Kent. When he arrived, it was to find his host away from home and not due back until all hours. Barak was to dine alone with a reproachful settler for a companion and not wait up. His bedroom on the ground floor was beautifully paneled from footboard to ceiling, but some misguided housekeeper under the fourth George had fallen upon the lovely woodwork with a can of black varnish. The dowry brought by a Cazalet bride of the mauve decade had been invested in a few vintage bathrooms, and one of these had replaced a prayer closet that once opened into his bedroom. There was only a candle to read by, but the light of a full moon came waveringly through the vines that half-curtained the mullioned windows. In this museum, Barak dropped off to sleep. He did not know how long he had slept when he had found himself awake again and conscious that something was astir in the room. It took him a moment to place the movement, but at last, in a patch of moonlight, he made out a hunched figure that seemed to be sitting with bent, engrossed head in the chair by the door. It was the hand, or rather the whole arm, that was moving, tracing a recurrent, if irregular, course in the air. At first, the gesture was teasingly half-familiar, and then Barak recognized it as one a woman makes when embroidering. There would be a hesitation as if the needle were being thrust through some taut, resistant material, and then, each time, 
the long, swift, sure pull of the thread. To the startled guest, this seemed the least menacing activity he had ever heard ascribed to a ghost, but just the same, he had only one idea, and that was to get out of that room with all possible dispatch. His mind made a hasty reconnaissance. The door into the hall was out of the question, for madness lay that way. At least he would have to pass right by that weaving arm. Nor did he relish a blind plunge into the thorny shrubbery below his window, and a barefoot scamper across the frosty turf. Of course there was the bathroom, but that was a small comfort if he could not get out of it by another door. In a spasm of concentration, he had remembered that he had seen another door. Just at the moment of his realization, he heard the comfortingly actual sound of a car coming up the drive, and guessed that it was his host returning. In one magnificent movement, he leaped to the floor, bounded into the bathroom, and bolted its door behind him. The floor of the room beyond was quilted with moonlight. Wading through that, he arrived, breathless but unmolested, in the corridor. Farther along, he could see the lamp left burning in the entrance hall and hear the clatter of his host closing the front door. As Barak came hurrying out of the darkness to greet him, Cazalette boomed his delight at such affability, and famished by his long, cold ride, proposed an immediate raid on the larder. The doctor, already sheepish at his recent panic, said nothing about it, and was all for food at once. With lighted candles held high, the foraging party descended on the offices, and mine host was descanting on the merits of cold roast beef, cheddar cheese, and milk as a light midnight snack when he stumbled over a bundle on the floor. With a cheerful curse at the old goody of the kitchen who was always leaving something about, he bent low to see what it was this time and let out a whistle of surprise. Then, by two candles held low, he and the doctor saw something they will not forget while they live. It was the body of the cook. Just the body. The head was gone. On the floor or alongside lay a bloody cleaver. Old scripture, by God! Cazalet cried out, and in a flash, Barak guessed. Still clutching a candle in one hand, he dragged his companion back through the interminable house to the room from which he had fled motioning him to be silent, tiptoeing the final steps. That precaution was wasted, for a regiment could not have disturbed the rapt contentment of the ceremony still in progress within. The old lunatic had not left his seat by the door. Between his knees, he still held the head of the woman he had killed. Scrupulously, happily, crooning at his work, he was plucking out the gray hairs one by one. <laughs> Persuaded, a creepy pasta by Chris Stewart. Uh, 
It's been two weeks since this whole thing started. It all started with a tanker accident. It was all over the news. Everyone thought it was just another oil spill. There were plenty of volunteers, plenty of people wanting to help the poor defenseless animals. Plenty of victims. Within hours of the tanker accident, it started happening. The animals had gone crazy. They were scratching and biting the cleanup volunteers. They said that it was an adverse effect to whatever was in that tanker. Rescue workers were still trying to get the crew out of the ship. They could hear screaming inside. There were screams to open the doors. That's when it all went to hell. As soon as they cut the door out. There were six minutes of broadcast before it went silent. Six minutes of screaming and agony. The ship crew attacked the rescue workers like rabid baboons. They were breaking bones and tearing flesh. The people on the shore weren't faring any better. Those that had been attacked by animals were attacking everyone else. It was worse than any war zone report. It was sheer brutality. And yet the broadcast still went on for six minutes. There were six minutes and then... Blank faces. Nobody could explain what was happening. They tried to continue with the regular news. The economy, the weather, an acute human interest story but they couldn't make us unsee what we saw. I tried to continue with my regular existence, but every time I switched on the news or walked by a newsstand, it was there. This big mystery. They had some explanations. It was an infection or maybe brain parasites, but it didn't matter. It wasn't the infection we were afraid of. It was them. Four days after the initial report, a state of emergency was raised. And yet, we've all seen this before. It's in every zombie movie ever. People don't know who to trust. People were stockpiling food and weapons. Some tried to flee, but it seems every zombie movie was right. They didn't make it. Three days later, they arrived in my town. I expected moans, shuffling corpses, and dismemberment, but that's where the movies lied. They ran through the streets, screaming. I remember running to my front door as fast as I could, locking, barricading, doing anything to make sure it would stay shut, and then I headed for the window. I was on the second story and I I could see the carnage. They were unstoppable. They were aware. A group of them made their way through a building across the street. They jumped straight through plate glass windows. Even the shards slicing through them made no difference. It just kept coming. My barricade wasn't going to hold. I rushed around my flat grabbing supplies and jamming them in the most secure room. I went back for one last look across the streets, and I wish I hadn't. In a second-story window, my face met one of theirs. They knew where I was. I quickly dashed into the room and locked the door. I don't have any kind of panic room or a secure basement, so 
the safest place I could think of was my bathroom. There were no windows and only one door. It had a lock. I had filled my sink and bathtub full of water so I could stay for a while. I sat there in the dark room with the distant screams in my ears. I began to feel like I may have overreacted. It had been two hours with no sign of them. It actually got quieter and I thought they'd moved on. Maybe I could leave the room and get to the kitchen. I could grab some more food and wait it out. A crash came from the front door. It was the sound of someone running full force into the door and knocking down the barrier behind it. There were a couple more crashes before I knew they were inside. There were rapid footsteps moving around the flat, a couple of screams, and then a bang on the wall beside me. My eyes were open to their widest, even in the pitch black darkness of the room. There was another bang, and then another. They knew I was there, and they knew I was scared. This was the zombie nightmare I had been expecting from the start. I had nowhere to run. There was only so much time before they would break in. I sat with my back to the door, hoping my extra weight would make it harder for them to get in. Then it got worse. Why don't you open the door? There was a voice on the opposite side of the door. There were no screams or moans, just a quiet, whispery voice. And then more of them. We've come for you. You'll be happier if you open the door. It's not so bad. The whispery voices became a cacophony of noise trying to persuade me, to break me, to fool me. I had heard that the moaning of zombies would drive people insane, but this was worse. A siren call. I sat in the darkness and hoped and prayed that they'd get bored. But they don't get bored. And they don't leave. I managed to use the mirror to peek under the door, only to be greeted by horrible, unblinking eyes. Blood-smeared faces. Screams. And more horrible whispers. That was... Two days ago. I don't know what to do anymore. Maybe it... Won't... Be so bad. I'm not afraid of snakes or toads or bugs or worms or mice. The things that girls are scared of, I think are awful nice. I'm pretty brave, I guess, and yet I hate to go to bed. For when I'm tucked up warm and snug and when my prayers are said, my mother tells me happy dreams and takes away the light and leaves me lying all alone and seeing things at night. Sometimes they're in the corner, sometimes they're by the door, 
Sometimes they all just creep and crawl across the bedroom floor. Sometimes they come when I'm asleep, sometimes when I'm awake. So softly and so silently, they make me scream and shake. Sometimes they're black as ink, other times they're white. The color makes no difference when you're seeing things at night. Once, Mother caught me being bad, fighting in the street, and Father sent me up to bed without a bite to eat. I heard some noises in the dark, and up my ears did prick. Those things were gathered all around and planning something sick. I was so very scared that time, I got an awful fright. It's always when I'm bad that I start seeing things at night. Lucky thing I'm not a girl, or I'd be scared to death. Since I'm a boy, I duck my head and then I hold my breath. When I hear something horrible crawling up the stairs, I promise to be better and I always say my prayers. I'm certain that's the only way that I can make it right. When I've been very wicked and start seeing things at night. And so when other evil kids tempt and coax me into sin... I try to squash the devil's voice that urges me within. At night the things creep closer, and they aren't very nice. They want to eat me up without even thinking twice. Eventually these evil things will drag me out of sight. I hope I don't keep doing wrong and seeing things at night. Try being less sexist, you little jackass. There you go, everybody! That's chapter 10 of the Ghost Stories episode in the books in a black-haired, wet, zombie nutshell. And now for the little things in the corner of your room at night. Puns! There was once a man who stayed at an old country house in Mexico. One night he thought he saw something swinging in the light through the window. Frightened, he grabbed a bat and attacked the thing, beating it so bad candy spilled on the floor. It was his very own moonlight piñata. There was once a group of high schoolers that started an after-school study group for arithmetic, algebra, and calculus. They often argued with each other, day after day, argument after argument. But the one thing they came to be known for was the bathroom of the student whose house they met in. The student's mother and sister were very unkempt, and every time they went to take a bath or a shower, they would leave all their clothes scattered around the bathroom. And so every time one of the members of the study group went to use the bathroom, they would inevitably trip on the unmentionables and braziers laying on the floor. The other students knew this would happen when they would hear thump, thump, thumping upstairs in the bathroom. And the study group quickly became known as the Brawfoot Math Club. Oh, you're right. Those are puns. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to follow the show on Facebook, Blurry Photos Podcast, Twitter, Blurry underscore photos, Instagram, Blurry Photos Podcast, and watch me play some horror games and such on Twitch, 
at twitch.tv slash blurryphotos. If you have an Amazon Prime account, you have a free subscription that you can use on Twitch once a month. And it actually does help not only the channel, but me, because Mr. Bezos gives me a kickback if I get enough subscribers on there. Thanks to everyone who donates, supports, listens, tells people about it, hangs out with me on Twitch, watches these silly games we play, and sticks with me. Anyways, for this episode of Blurry Photos, I have been the things you're seeing at night, David Flora. Don't stop blurry even.